In my personal life, I've used ChatGPT to write blog posts, write essays, write LinkedIn posts celebrating International Women's Day. And I've even used it to write my Valentine's Day message to my wife. If we can speed up that process, if we can make it easier, if the company can just ask ChatGPT or a similar language model, well, we can significantly lower the barrier of entry to working with the government. Welcome to The Convergence, the Army's Mad Scientist podcast. I'm Matt Sands, part of the Mad Scientist team, and I'll be joined in just a moment by Luke Shabro, Deputy Director of Mad Scientist. Mad Scientist is a U.S. Army initiative that continually explores the future of warfare, challenges assumptions, and collaborates with academia, industry, and government. You can connect with us through Twitter at ArmyMadSci or subscribe to the blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. On today's episode, we're talking with Lieutenant Colonel Robert Solano, accomplished Army officer and the commander of the Defense Contract Management Agency at Boeing in Mesa, Arizona. We're talking with Colonel Solano today about what DCMA does, how language models like ChatGPT can help the Army and the nation's industrial base work together, and some of the challenges and barriers these language models may face when it comes to widespread adoption in the DoD. As always, the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Department of Defense, Department of the Army, Army Futures Command, or Training and Doctrine Command. Let's get started. Colonel Solano, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Matt. I've been a longtime fan of the show, and I'm excited to chat with you today. Excellent. We're excited to have you here. So let's let's get started here. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, how you got to where you are, and, and what a day in the life of the commander of DCMA is like? Sure. So I began my Army career about 20 years ago. And for the first 10 years of my career, I was an aviation officer and Black Hawk helicopter pilot. I flew operations in Iraq, Afghanistan, all over, all over the country. And then about midway through my career, I switched to the Acquisition Corps. And the Acquisition Corps is the functional area of the Army that procures all the equipment and tools and services that our, our warfighters need. Uh, I've had a few different jobs in the Acquisition Corps. I've worked at US SOCOM as a program manager. I was a training with industry fellow at Palantir Technologies. Uh, I was a program manager at the Army Artificial Intelligence Center up in Pittsburgh. And that leads to my current job as the commander of the Defense Contract Management Agency at Boeing in Mesa, Arizona. So day to day, we have a team of about 50 people here that live and work at the Boeing factory where we build the Apache helicopter, which in my opinion is the best damn attack helicopter in the whole entire world. Uh, and we support the contract through uh, doing contract negotiations, post award surveys, uh, negotiating overhead costs, issuing payments. And really as an aviation organization, one of the, the unique aspects of our particular command is that every Apache helicopter that gets delivered to our US Army partners and our international partners, well, our team uh, flies that helicopter, we do quality control and make sure that it's up to the standards of the contract so that when the warfighter gets it, they can hop in, go fly their mission, and they don't have to worry about the quality of the product that they receive. Well, that's fantastic. And as uh, Matt knows, anytime I hear about uh, Pittsburgh, I'm excited. Go Steelers. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sir, right now we hear a lot about contracting with everything that's going on and trying to uh, build the force and shape the future force up more. Um, but also the amount of uh, munitions and things like that being delivered over to the fight uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Um, and so we're hearing a lot about that and all the steps being taken to kind of build and shape that future force. 
Could you tell us about kind of the DCMA and, and how it relates to that building and shaping in the future force? Yeah, Luke. So DCMA personnel, and I think there's about uh, 11,000 or so personnel around the world, but we're in 15,000 different contractor locations around the world. Whenever we're trying to ramp up production for ammunitions going to Ukraine, for example, our team is frequently in the factory, on the floor, looking over the contractor's shoulder, making sure that they have the capability to ramp up and that they're using the government funding and resources as appropriate to, to build those products to standard, at cost, and ensure timely delivery. Now, in terms of the future force, there's quite a few big projects on the horizon. There's future vertical lift, there's the next generation bomber, there's the, the future army rifle. Well, whenever you start a new program to deliver new technology to the warfighter, there's always inherent risk in, in standing up that production line for the first time. And DCMA plays a critical role in buying down that risk and, and you know giving the policymakers and program managers insight into the acquisition process so that they can make the best decisions, which will ultimately help the warfighter get the best product at the end of the day. No, I think that's extremely important, that connection between the contracting out to the actual warfighter. It's not just about buying things, uh, something we talked recently about with our CG, General Brito, about that connection um, and, and how it all integrates. It's not just material, it's not just stuff. How does it actually connect to that warfighter? You know, one of, one of the reasons we really wanted to have you on the podcast was also to discuss chat GPT and other advanced language models. Uh, and chat GPT is a major hot button issue right now, not only in DOD, but really across like every global industry. And so I'm uh, not the uh, contracting officer. I'm not uh, the most tech savvy guru ever. Um, so if you can explain it like I'm five uh, as a kindergartner, what actually is chat GPT? Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about chat GPT. I've somewhat been of a technology evangelist on the subject in my circles recently. ChatGPT is essentially a computer program. It's an artificial intelligence program and a particular type called a language model. You'll sometimes hear it called an advanced language model or large language model. If you ever use a, a iPhone or, or Gmail and, and you start typing and your iPhone predicts the next word you know, where it gives you an option of three words to choose from, or in Gmail, it gives you an option to finish the sentence. Well, that's kind of a simple language model that predicts the next word that you may want to say based upon the input that you give it. ChatGPT is similar, except it can do a lot more than just predict the next word. A company called OpenAI, they started developing this technology a few years ago, and they fed this program. It's estimated to be about 300 billion words of text through books, Twitters, uh, blog posts, the internet, text from all over in order to train this model how to predict what you're going to say and respond to your prompts. So what you can do is you can go to this program and, and just start typing and ask ChatGPT to respond. So for example, you know I have young daughters and they're at the age where they're starting to learn to talk. And frequently a question that children ask is, why is the sky blue? Well, you can ask ChatGPT, why is the sky blue? And it will tell you about the molecules in the air and Rayleigh scattering and scientific stuff like that. But then you could say, okay, say that again and explain to me like I'm five years old. 
And all of a sudden, ChatGPT will explain it in simple language that even a five-year-old child can understand. In my personal life, I've used ChatGPT to write blog posts, write essays, write LinkedIn posts celebrating um, International Women's Day. And I've even used it to uh, write my uh, Valentine's Day message to my wife. But but don't tell my wife. I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast. And even for, for this podcast that I'm doing right now, when we started chatting about a week, week and a half ago, I asked ChatGPT, I, I gave it an article I wrote on the subject. And I said, write some podcast interview questions for this podcast. And it, it spit back a, a few interview questions. I, I edited them. I sent them to you. You edited them a little bit, sent them back to me. And then I asked ChatGPT, okay, now answer these interview questions. And while I'm not you know, repeating verbatim what ChatGPT said, it really helped me um, formulate my thoughts and articulate what I wanted to say to prepare for this interview. And you know, I estimate that it probably increased my productivity at least twofold. Here's the really exciting thing about ChatGPT. Um, and and uh, you know, we talk about ChatGPT, but this isn't an endorsement for them. I really just use them as an example to demonstrate the overall technology of large language models. But the exciting thing is it doesn't take a computer scientist or programming degree to use this advanced artificial intelligence. All it takes is an email login, and then you have access to one of the most powerful AI systems we've ever had in this world. The system became public in November of 2022, so just a few months ago. Within five days, it had a million users, and within two months, it had 100 million users. Uh, in comparison, it took Facebook four and a half years to get to 100 million users. It took uh, TikTok, I think, nine months to get to 100 million users. So hitting 100 million users in two months makes ChatGPT the fastest growing, fastest adopted uh, consumer product in all of human history. And I think that's one of the big reasons why it's gotten so much attention, as well as big investments. Microsoft has invested estimated to be $10 billion in this. It's, it's showing up in lots of different uh, software products that we use on a day-to-day -day basis. I, I got an email this morning from OpenTable saying that OpenTable now is using ChatGPT to help with dinner reservations. So you can, you know, ask OpenTable, uh, you know, hey, make a, uh, a, a nice brunch reservation for me and my wife with an outdoor view, and it will use ChatGPT to help you select a good uh, table reservation. So Tremendous potential in, in all aspects of our life. Anything that requires writing or reading or language, uh, ChatGPT may definitely impact that in the future. Just nobody on the audience, please tell Colonel Solano's wife that he used it for Valentine's <laughs> So let's kind of connect this now. So we talked about the importance of ChatGPT, how it works. How do you see it impacting DCMA's mission and capabilities? What opportunities do you see there? You know, I, I listened to a Harvard Review, Review podcast earlier in the week, and the professor published some initial research showing that ChatGPT has led to a 40 to 80% increase in productivity for certain job series. Well, in the contracting world, lots of what we do is language, writing, reviewing documents. And I definitely think that there's huge potential to improve the productivity in contracting and program management, not just on the government side, 
but also on our industrial partner side. You know, my small team in Boeing Mesa, we have about 600 open contract actions on any given day valued at over $5 billion. Well, if we can use language models to, to help reduce the overhead cost on our side and the, and the contractor side by, by even 1%, 1% of $5 billion is $50 million. That's $50 million in savings that we can return to the taxpayers. On the, on the global scale, the Defense Contract Management Agency receives 1,000 contracts every single day. Now, some of those contracts are you know, 10, 20 pages, but some of those contracts are hundreds of pages, and we're receiving thousand, a thousand of them every single day. We're, we're issuing $900 million in payments every single day. Well, 1% of $900 million is $9 million per day if we can help our industrial base you know, realize some of these productivity savings. And that's all savings that we can either return to the taxpayer or that we can use to deliver even greater value, more ammunition, better equipment to our warfighters. So there's huge potential. Um, and, and not to mention just streamlining the acquisition and contracting process and, and making it easier for companies to work with the government. Yeah, that's really significant. I mean, that's not something to brush off. I mean, the, the, the cost savings and, and, and even the manpower, the time savings is, is incredibly powerful there. Um, and even just listening to, you know, how you talk about ChatGPT and how you used it for these questions and stuff, I'm thinking in my head of how we could use it. And sometimes for us, because we do a lot of writing uh, as Intel analysts, sometimes the hardest thing is, is you know, where how do you start? How do you get over that initial inertia? And if we can throw something to one of these systems that kind of gives us a broad overview of the topics we're talking about, that can help us get off the mark really quickly. And I mean, I can see blog posts and, and reports and things that are not written by chat GPT, but maybe helped us get them started and we can deliver products a lot more quickly. I think you bring up a great point, Matt, as well as Colonel Solano, it's not just a cost savings or even, you know, the levels of efficiency that we think about. It's similar to ways we've talked about AI before when it comes to helping warfighters and commanders is you can use it as that launch point to then get you to the point where you do what you do best. Um, and we've looked at that before with commanders of instead of bogging commanders or decision makers down with the minute details of, of finding all these things and bringing it out, let's let them do what they do best, which is the contextualization, the critical thinking um, that's required. So it's not just the production and the cost savings, but a really empowering people. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Luke. Good point. Um, I, want, I want to talk about the contracting side of it again here. So as these models get more and more widespread adoption, how's that going to impact competition in your view between contractors, especially in terms of leveling the playing field for small businesses and non-traditional vendors? Could you look at some of the, the large ones like Lockheed and Boeing? They have staffs of thousands that can handle this stuff. And some of the smaller uh, vendors may not have all those resources to help them get those bids in and things. Yeah, as you probably know, the, the government bureaucracy can be a little difficult to navigate at times, to say the least. The, the federal acquisition regulations is, you know, thousands of pages. I don't even know how long it is because it's online now, but it's a, a massive document and very complicated. Lots of these big defense contractors have teams of proposal writers that do nothing else except review contracts coming out on SAM.gov and, and write proposals and responses to those 
And that requires overhead costs. That requires a budget. Uh, you know, frequently companies are limited to how many proposals they can respond to because of their limited resources. And that's the established companies. Now, the the non-traditional companies, they frequently don't even know where to begin. You know, for example, I had a I got an email a, a few months ago, and it was a, a company, a non-traditional vendor that was you know, interested in selling a, a, a product, a, a factory product to the government. But but part of their product had uh, materials that were sourced from overseas vendors. And, you know, and they asked me, they said, hey, you know, I see you're a contract officer. Are you working program management? Like, like how, what does this mean? You know, compliance with the Better Buying Act in FAR part, dot, 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 dot. They, they didn't even know where to begin. And so, you know, even though it didn't really have to do with my day-to-day job, I, I was curious and I like helping out our industry partners. I started looking up for myself and it probably took me about two hours myself as an experienced acquisition officer to, to navigate the FAR and figure out what they needed to include in their proposal and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then I, I sent them a reply pointing them to the right areas of the FAR to do the research. But if we can speed up that process, if we can make it easier, if the company can just ask ChatGPT or a similar language model, you know, hey, I'm, I, I want to apply for this government contract. How do I comply with the Better Buying Act or, or Buy America Act? I'm sorry, I may have said that wrong. Uh, the Buy America Act. Well, we can significantly lower the barrier of entry to working with the government. And if, if as the government, if we have more proposals for any given contract, well, that increases our ability to do an evaluation to you know make sure that we have fair and reasonable pricing and that we get the best product out there for our warfighters you know how this will play out in the future you know the optimistic side of me believes that language models can lower the barrier of entry and and level the playing field and allow more non-traditional vendors to compete for government contracts now, the, the pessimistic side of me worries that in the future, we may get to a point where the companies that have the best AI models are the ones that are winning government contracts that are able to you know, extract from our proposal or, or request for a proposal what the government is looking for and then you know, tailor their responses so that they win the contract versus you know, providing the best value to the government. No, I think that's a great point and a, a great segue to one of the things we want to talk about next, which is, you know, first really looking at all these, you know, potential benefits and opportunities and it's expanding all over. We're also seeing a little bit of a backlash to that. We're seeing in academia um, and, and even with publishing companies who are no longer accepting um, publications that can't be proven not to be written by chat GPT or other similar models um, because they, they want original content not created by an AI. There's questions about the um, you know, copyright versus um, some of the other things that we've seen, not only in chat GPT, but in uh, AI similar like uh, there was one recently that created avatars for people, animated looking avatars. Um, but there was artists who said, this is my style that this AI turned around and copied. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of backlash to this in a sense of thinking, okay, this is not creatively produced. This is not um, maybe even well thought out. And there's even been examples of where ChatGPT has been blatantly false 
or had misinformation um, because it's a language learning model. And if it's using um, if it's using machine learning, then that means it's garbage in, garbage out, if that's the case. And so there's there's been all this backlash and concern about that. And uh, similar to previously, even people said PowerPoint makes us stupid. Um, PowerPoint is not stupid. We are stupid in the <laughs> sense of if we use it in the incorrect way. So I think chat, chat GPT can be that tool, but it can't be the answer. It's not... It's not the approach. And so the question is, what are some challenges and barriers to when you adopt that, especially within defense acquisition and contracting, where there's a lot of rules for a reason? Yeah. So OpenAI, the company behind ChatGPT, they they admit and they talk about ChatGPT's frequency of hallucinating. That's the word they use is hallucinations, which I find quite humorous. Uh, and, and just like you said, ChatGPT will frequently make up facts or information that is incorrect and say it with complete confidence as if it is real. So if you're using it to review federal acquisition regulations, it may tell you that there's a part of the FAR that allows you to do something that is not actually correct. And not only to mention that, but but also there's a concern about security you know, we're not completely sure if ChatGPT can handle uh, FOU or, you know, controlled unclassified information or or classified information. And, you know, that may be overcome in the future. And I know people are already working on that. And so I should have already said that lots of DOD organizations right now don't even allow their users to have access to ChatGPT. It's blocked on many of the DOD networks as a, you know, it's a, it's a watch item, but it's kind of blocked for many of us right now. But but personally, I know it does not stop people from having ChatGPT on their phone. And, you know, when they get an email from their boss saying, hey, rewrite this in active voice, uh, you know, they type it into ChatGPT and it rewrites to active voice. So, you know, I think there's definitely concerns about the accuracy. Uh, there's bias in the system that's been well documented as well, um, security and confidentiality. And so DOD is really taking an approach as um, cost to this, which I think is is great. You know, in terms of policies, I, I was thinking about this last night. And I think really the 2022 uh, DOD's AI ethic principles is really applicable to this AI technology. And, and part of those principles, part of being responsible means that DOD personnel exercise appropriate levels of judgment and care. And that we possess the appropriate understanding of the technology to use it and to avoid unintended consequences. And, and so I think it's important that no matter what ChatGPT or these language models write for us, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the human responsibility to make sure that the, they're using that information correctly, that it is accurate, that it's, you know, that they reference the FAR and make sure that they have extra sources before just accepting something that ChatGPT says. And um, I think if we do that, if we you know understand how this technology works, um, that will help us in the future, you know, use it to enhance our operations and mission. I think that makes a ton of sense. And I wonder, you know, from your vantage point, do you think it's important then to put effort towards codifying that stuff? early because one of the you know you worked at the army ai integration center and one of the things we've talked about 
with um, what was previously the Joint AI Center, now part of CDAO, um, and with Army, uh, previously Army AI Task Force, was the idea that ethics and uh, guiding principles had to be baked in early into the into the algorithms, into the machine learning models, um, because you couldn't necessarily put the toothpaste back in the tube. And so is that something that we need to do, we as in DOD need to do early? Is it a version of chat GPT or some other model that maybe is commercial off the shelf, um, but has unique characteristics for the DOD that can account for security? We all use Windows um, as our operating systems, but there's extra security involved in that compared to, say, a private company or just private users. We initially started uh, COVID and, and the pandemic with a lot of people using Zoom, um, but as a as a private, and now even today we're using you know a, a government model in order to record this. So is that something that you think we should approach in that way, or is it something that uh, we just should build in the human systems around it? Yeah, that's a great question, and and to be honest, I don't have the answers. Um, I. You know, the, the national defense strategy uh, challenges the DOD to be fast followers of commercial technology and artificial intelligence. And um, and I really think that this is an opportunity for us to be a fast follower. But but how we actually do that, whether we, you know, just open the, the doors and start using ChatGPT as it is or whether we stand up our own instance of it, um, that that's a challenge that I don't have the answer for now. Frequently in my career, I've seen the DOD try to replicate commercial products and and not do that very well. So, you know, I'm usually biased towards leaning towards using commercial products. Uh, but like I mentioned earlier, I think it's essential that we train our workforce on how to use these products wisely, um, how to uh, use proper judgment, how to limit the uh, information we input into it. Um, and I think if we do that, we'll be successful. And ultimately, at the end of the day, these language models are going to be pervasive in all areas of our life. This is just the beginning. Microsoft has already introduced uh, ChatGPT into its search engines. Um, it has a, uh, I think it's called a power assistant or, or there's like a, you know, the the new version of the little paper clip from back in the day that that helps you with your word documents like there's a new version of that powered by J chat gpt you know open table is using it um slack you know it'll be in slack in the near future it, it's just going to be everywhere before you look that's my humble prediction and so whether you use it on a government system or whether you use it in your personal life for writing valentine's day cards to your wife um, I think it's important to understand how these technologies work and use them responsibly. I think everyone's excited to have Microsoft's Clippy back. <laughs> so it, it sounds like a, a lot of this is similar to the challenges that that we as a society and, and specifically when we're talking about Defense Department, you know, the Army has been facing when it comes to things like artificial intelligence in general and even robotics and autonomy is is. How do we foster that trust? How do we trust what ChatGPT is saying to us? And usually the answer lies in personal responsibility. We have to be able to think critically about the answers we're getting back. We have to have our, our individuals who are interfacing with it understand that they 
at the at this moment, as it's a commercial product, they kind of have to treat it like it is an individual who we met on the street. And you have to understand that the the answers coming back may or may not be entirely correct. There's a little bit of due diligence on our part to do that. So it sounds like we're facing these issues already. We're not starting from scratch, and that's good to have that kind of that foundation to work off of as ChatGPT becomes more and more popular and possibly integrates into what we do in defense. So knowing that, how do you see the role of DCMA evolving in the future, uh, especially with other technologies like we talked about with artificial intelligence, robotics, and autonomy? You know, with the increasing complexity and interconnectivity of the defense system, I think it's going to be imperative that DCMA and our government agencies uh, adapt and take a more proactive approach to to risk management. Um, risk management is one of the big things that DCMA does. We we are in factories trying to reduce risk in the production line, in the supply chain, um, and I think there's huge potential to use some of these commercial technologies to do predictive analytics, to to do um, AI driven risk and vulnerability assessments and and look for opportunities to improve in real time. You know, so I don't, that's a, that's a difficult question. I think the key is to just be open to change, to never stop learning. And as much as we can continuously try to up-level our skill set, so that when companies are talking to us about robotics or you know, digital modernization or artificial intelligence, we can speak intelligently and provide the acquisition insight to our customers that they that they desire. And and DCMA, I think, has already been doing a, a phenomenal uh, job of that. And and I hope that we continue that into the far future. No, I think that that absolutely is spot on in terms of the most important thing is being adaptive. And you know, we talk again, DCMA. You would think a lot about materiel and stuff and things. But it's really the people aspect, once again, that, that comes back to it. The the people are the ones who drive this. And um, I, I think that even back to the Apache, uh, the the greatest hel- attack helicopter in the world. That's right. Um, it was the people that innovatively designed that and built that, that system. So we could honestly talk to you forever um, about this. It's, it's really fascinating. And I think as soon as we're done here, I'm going to have to get on chat GPT to, uh, get it to generate a thank you note for coming (laughs) on. And, (laughs) um, so it's been excellent talking to you. So we'll, we'll transition though, to our rapid fire questions, which we like to ask all our guests to get, get to know you a little bit better and, uh, understand. So our first question, what is a trend or technology that keeps you up at night? So, um, I hope this doesn't exceed your rapid fire length, but you know, what keeps me up at night in, in terms of chat GPT, since that's the topic we're talking about is um, lots of companies are seeing the success that chat GPT and open AI have had, and they're trying to catch up. Now, open AI has been pretty open uh, about sharing how they've been red teaming the product. They, you know, their, their latest version chat GPT four they finished training it in August of last year, and they've been red team testing it ever since then. And, and they published some of their red team testing. Like, for example, their what's called a system card talks about examples that they use to, to test it. And, you know, for example, earlier version, they asked ChatGPT to make dangerous chemicals using household ingredients. Or, you know, how can I buy 
um, unregistered weapons or, or, you know, how can I write malicious code? And, and earlier versions of ChatGPT would actually answer, but OpenAI has put safeguards in place to prevent that from happening on the publicly released version. So my fear is that other companies that are rushing to keep up may not do the same level of diligence in red teaming and and actors may use those language models for nefarious purposes. Yeah, the dark side of this is is always something to fear. And I think even, you know, no matter how many safeguards you put into it, there still are going to be ways around it asking your question differently. Like if you want to make a poison, I'm sure you could ask ChatGPT in a way that seems like you're an academic approaching it. How, what happens if I mix these two chemicals or what two chemicals will get me this chemical composition? that they will still answer you. So that is, that's always going to be something to be a little wary of. Absolutely. And we've been concerned before with nefarious actors using those kind of models, not only again, the language models, but the creation of avatars and voices and things like that to, to really mass manufacture dis and misinformation um, and, and kind of flood the zone, so to speak. So absolutely concerned. What is something about you that you're willing to share on air that most people might not know? So one area where ChatGPT will never be able to compete with me is I, I make an incredible Neapolitan style pizza. I, uh, if you're ever visiting Phoenix, stop on by. It's delicious, wood fired in my pizza oven outside. And uh, it's a, a great meal. Absolutely delicious. Well, yeah, that's market down. We're there, set in stone. <laughs> We're booking our flights to Phoenix now. If there's one <laughs> thing that will get me to fly anywhere in the world, it is a good pizza. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, now for our final rapid fire question, which many guests say is the most challenging question. What is your favorite movie? So I've been listening to the show for a while. And, and when I started listening to the show, I was surprised how many people answered the big Lebowski because I had never seen it. And, and so after listening to your show, I was like, I need to go see this movie. All these people are saying that that's their favorite movie. Uh, it is a really good movie, but not my favorite. My favorite movie is gladiator. See, and we've, we've had that before too. Do you remember Luke, when we did the, um, the panel out in uh, Orlando, I think that was somebody's favorite movie. And we actually had an entire Ridley Scott panel uh, of movies that time gladiator gladiator is a good one i'm glad you got into the big lebowski though that's 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 what our podcast set out to do is let people <laughs> let more people know about the big lebowski the dude abides <laughs> well uh colonel solano thank you so much for coming on it's honestly been a, a absolute honor talking to you um we've we've discussed more and more with folks from dcma um given the critical nature of dcma when it comes to thinking about designing building and shaping the future force. So this has just been an excellent conversation. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Luke and Matt. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. And where uh, where can people follow you at? I'm on most social media platforms uh, for you know army related work. Probably LinkedIn is the best and uh, you can go LinkedIn. Um, my handle is at the Robert Solano. The Robert Solano. Perfect. Well, thanks again, sir. And uh, we will keep an eye out for everything you're putting out. Keep that pizza oven warm. Thank you. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to The Convergence. I'd like to thank our guest, Lieutenant Colonel Robert Solano. You can connect with Mad Scientist through Twitter at ArmyMadSci. And don't forget to subscribe to our blog, The Mad Scientist Laboratory, at madsciblog.tradoc.army.mil. Finally, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a rating or review on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you accessed it. 
This feedback helps improve future episodes of The Convergence and allows us to reach a bigger and broader audience.